Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Caught up with Gavin Lockyer today, MD at Arafura Resources on the ASX. They're hoping to produce NDPR oxides for the European ecosystem. Uh, big barrier to that being a $1 billion capex. How's he going to fund it? When's he going to fund it? We talked through his solutions and options on the table. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, you can find them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, and um, especially around the EV thematic, actually. Um, plus, we've got a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. And if you think that sounds nice, and I hope you do, go and join them. Uh, you can do that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Gavin, how are you, sir? I'm really well. Thanks again for having me. Well, yes, uh, November, we uh, spoke to you. I think you, you were just a small 120 million market cap company. Now you're up at 200. It's been a good uh, good time for shareholders. It has been. And, and just to recap on, on what we are, you know, we're, we're uh, the next uh, producer of neodymium praseodymium oxide or rare earths, um, more collectively known, uh, that's uh, ready to go. So we're, um, you know, full steam ahead. And as you said, our market cap has grown significantly in the last little while. And I think it's reflective of, of really market sentiment. Yeah, it, it, what it is, isn't it? But, you know, have you been doing anything to contribute towards these gains or is it just the market doing the heavy lifting for you? Look, I think there's a number of things at play. There's a you know a lot of geopolitical um, issues going on at the moment uh, in terms of um, COVID recovery and how economies can see themselves recovering from it, and they're really focused on e-mobility and uh, and renewables. And certainly, our product, the NDPR oxide that feeds the magnets that go into electric vehicles and wind turbines, is, is critical in that recovery. So I think there's a growing um, uh, awareness of uh, of the looming shortfalls in supply and and quality assets that are out there. Uh, we're also re- seeing a reflection not just in our share price but also of the commodity price. And I think that again is being driven by uh, EV demand. And even uh, though we've been living through the last you know year of COVID, uh, electric vehicle sales were up. Uh, on a percentage basis ex- exponentially in, in Europe. And, and so that, I think, augurs really, really well for our space. Well, I was about to say, we're, we're seeing a lot of that ourselves with regards to, you know, we do a weekly nickel show, for instance. So in terms of the, we, we kind of do look at the automotive, EV automotive sales uh, numbers. And it's kind of, what we're seeing is there's an advancement of the, the timelines from a lot of these OEMs as we come out of this COVID period. Is that, are those mm. the sorts of conversations you're hearing too? With, you know, Cause I Absolutely. know you're, you're, you're looking to, if I want to talk about it in a second about, you know, you, how do you finance this thing? But is that the kind of feedback you're getting? Absolutely, 100%. Um, I think pre-COVID, uh, this whole supply chain issue existed. Um, and I think you, you know, most um, OEMs had timelines to go fully electric in the next five to 10 years. And what we've been seeing now out of announcements out of the large auto makers in particular is that they're going fully electric in three years. Uh, and I think in the last two years, they've really been focused on uh, their battery uh, metal material. So your cobalt, uh, lithium, graphite, et cetera. 
And um, most recently, Volkswagen announced at their Battery World Day uh, how they, you know, their plans were were progressing for fully electric um, fairly soon. And so the discussions we're having with those types of organisations is, well, we think we've got the battery metal space sorted. The next critical mineral along the supply chain is is really the NDPR in, in the electric motors. And, and we're seeing a lot of interest both from customers, but also from the equity markets. So it uses a big project. Nolan's is, it, it's a big project, but that comes with a big ticket size, you know. So how much yep. money are you going to need to get this thing moving? Look, we need our capital cost is around a billion Australian dollars. Um, so it is, as you say, a very big capital issue. And and look, that's not a, a solo project problem. Uh, that's the issue that's faced every rare earth producer that wants to go to a rare earth oxide. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think we're any different. And uh, the benchmark in our space outside of China is really Linus Corporation. Uh, and so, you know, I think we're comparable in terms of capital costs. Um, you know, that is that is our hurdle and that is why the quality of our offtake and the uh, way that we structure our debt is is critical in terms of the success of uh, basically um, executing the project finance. But, you know, c- capital is one thing. This, this size and the quantum of it is fine if the economics are fine. Mm. Can you remind me what your DFS sure. numbers uh, produced? Yeah, look, the, the DFS numbers were based on a, a much lower spot price. Um, so we had, you know, a very healthy MPV um, and a modest IRR. Um, and that is a reflection of, of the uh, of the capital costs. We're actually looking to put out revised capital and operating costs in the next couple of weeks because our DFS is now two, almost two years old. Uh, but also prices have, uh, have increased significantly in the commodity. And, uh, you know, we're sitting at... Uh, roughly just under $90 US a kilo at the moment. And I think at the time we did the DFS, it was sitting at around $50 a kilo. And most analysts would agree that $65 a kilo is what what is needed to bring new producers on stream. So we're looking at a pretty healthy margin there. Right, so people can do, can do their own uh, math on that one quite simply. Yeah. Um, but you'll bring them, you, you'll what, look to uh, produce that new DFS when? Same. It's not a new DFS. We're just updating it for current uh, capital costs, escalation, et cetera, over the last few years. We've made a number of um, changes to our, our flow sheet, which we've mentioned along the way in various ASX releases, but that has some you know capital pluses and minuses. But more importantly, uh, it's, it's keeping our OPEX as low as we possibly can, which has always been critical to us to ensure that we can compete um, on a world scale with any producer that comes on board. And uh, we we remain in the lowest quartile there, which is is very pleasing. Was that was that part of the problem in terms of raising money or talking to people about raising capital over the past couple of years? The fact that IRR was, you know, high teens, right? Um, yep. Was that was that the issue? I don't think. Well, the IRR is probably one issue. I think, but the IRR is being driven by pricing of your commodity, and when your commodity price is being influenced artificially, um, you know, that, that creates issues. And so there's, it's made it very, very difficult for financiers, bankers and export credit agencies and sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, to, to have a clear line of sight of how the commodity price was going to behave because there was always this perception that China can just um, turn on switch production on when it needs to. But what we've seen in the last six months is that China doesn't necessarily uh, have the capacity to switch it on. Uh, there may be pandemic events that 
interrupt um, uh, supply chains. But more importantly, China has its own um, very strong EV and EV component um, manufacturing ambitions. And so by, you know, in the next couple of years, China won't be able to actually export magnets to the rest of the world. They will need it all for their own uh, for their own consumption, and that's why China is actually going around at the moment, or has been over the last few years, um, buying up other resources globally uh, to continue to feed its um, its requirements. We talked last time about you know the China, and we talked about the European ecosystem, EV ecosystems. I mean, who are you having conversations with? Because I, I think you know. It, a billion is is a lot of money f- for anyone, and usually when mm. companies come on here and say, "Oh, we're we're going to work operate outside the Chinese ecosystem," um, mm. they end up taking Chinese money because it's easier. That's right. Have you got yep. on with your conversations? Oh, look, I mean, we could have uh, we could have easily had a deal done ages ago with with the Chinese, but we think that. Um, uh, we think that there's a, an opportunity here for us to be funded by the rest of the world. Uh, and, you know, you're seeing responses from governments, particularly through COVID, that, you know, they're putting buckets of money towards um, economic recovery into the renewables and into the uh, e-mobility sector. And so we've had a range of discussions with both Australian government, um, European governments, uh, British governments, uh, Asian governments around how can we bring industry together with us such that we can offer uh, security of supply to the key industries that require it within those jurisdictions, but at the same time come with some some form of government debt guarantee that enables us then to go out and raise the remaining equity that we need or go to a commercial bank and raise the, the debt that we need from a commercial bank. So as the Australian government uh, reacting, because it's taxpayers' money, right, to, sure. to help a public yep. company and its shareholders, so those must be difficult conversations. It is difficult conversations, but there's a real drive from the Australian government to address the critical minerals uh, supply chain gap, uh, and they've made numerous public announcements around this. They've allocated billions of dollars into uh, various funds uh, that are being facilitated by Export Finance Australia and Northern Australian Infrastructure Fund. We've got processes running at the moment with those two organisations around potentially uh, accessing uh, concessional lending. Um, we've made no secret of that. And, and we see that as being a cornerstone that will then allow us to go to European and Asian export credit agencies uh, to bring them into the syndicate to to meet the debt requirements. We think the flow natural flow on from that will be a trigger to the customers that we're potentially talking to that there's a clear line of sight for financing. Therefore, they're more willing to commit to binding offtake arrangements, whilst at the same time that should bring a significant equity. Uh, re-rating such that we can go out and raise the required equity we need or the equity portion of the of the project finance. Right. So that's the sequence of events, but you must be having conversations already with European banks, funders, yep. partners, because given what the, the macro climate that you've described in terms of OEMs mm. bringing forward their plans for EV production, um, they must be desperate to secure their their pipeline of uh, NDPR. 
Absolutely. And that's what I was saying. In in recent months, really, there's been a growing awareness from those OEMs. And we're talking with, um, you know, wind turbine manufacturers. We're talking to um, uh, the actual OEMs themselves or the e-motor makers or component makers. Uh, and there's a growing awareness that they must secure their supply chain for the future. Um, we're having very advanced discussions with a number of them uh, throughout Europe and uh, and Asia, Southeast Asia. And, you know, we're getting to the point where we're, we're starting to talk about volumes and, and pricing now. Uh, and so that's a really, you know, that'll be one of the catalysts that gets the debt and the equity over the line. But at the same time, everybody's standing back waiting for the first person to make the move. And so we've made it very clear to the Australian government that Australia has a role to play here if it wants to be a global supplier in critical minerals to its key allies. And uh, and so that's the key messaging we've been putting to our government. And in turn, I think that they are reacting in a way that um, it's unusual as you've identified for Western governments to you know pick winners say or, or or take a risk in this area but I think there's a real awareness around the the criticality of this material uh, the national interest side of things and also security I mean um, you know uh, I don't like to talk a lot about the defense applications but um, you know there's uh, Australia's got a big order of f-35s uh, strike fighters with the US which requires a lot of uh, neodymium magnets in it it's also got a big um, big order of submarines with uh, the French being built, um, which also has a large degree of rare earth magnets in it. So it's a national security issue as well, which they are fully aware of and need to address. So help me understand the sequence of that, because you've outlined a sort of sequence to the financing, which needs the Aussie government to step in and step up to the plate. I get what that means for you, but why does that matter so much to these European these other European funders in terms of from the Aussie government as part of the, the syndicate, as it were? Why can't well, they just I think, get on um, themselves? Well, they could. They certainly could. And um, look, they, they, we were in uh, quite in-depth discussions with a number of these organisations um, until such time as the Australian government said, we've now got a critical mineral strategy and we're going to implement it. And so they're saying, well, that's great. We'll let let the Australian government or the Australian government bodies do the due diligence, uh, and we'll come in as, and support it as part of the of the of the syndicated package. Um, but we're not going to lead it. We'll let them do all the hard work. And so we're kind of caught betwixt and between at the moment. Um, well, that's what it feels like. Because so we're waiting for yeah, waiting for a government yeah. to move at glacial speed, which they invariably do, hmm. and they don't yep. necessarily have the the skill sets in house to understand what it is they're backing. It's just broad political thematics. Sure. Are you have you got a plan B which doesn't involve the Aussie government and just says, right, okay, we've yeah. got to get on with this, guys? Because you'll be sitting yep. here for another two years of you, potentially. Sure. Oh look, absolutely. It doesn't mean we're not doing anything and we're sitting here waiting for the Aussie government to do something. Um, as you say, governments typically move at glacial speed. So, you know, we're we're working on a number of other angles, particularly with um, you know potential off takers and whether they'd like to take strategic positions in the company. Um, but also, you know, talking, continuing to talk with those other foreign ECAs around. Look, let's just keep moving on as we were before all of this and, um, and, and and see where it goes. So, you know, we're not certainly sitting back waiting for one sort of domino to fall. We'd like it to be the Australian government. We think we can, we can work that angle. But at the same time, there's a number of other, you know, pieces in this puzzle that we're, um, 
that we're sort of uh, juggling with at the moment. Right, but presumably not as cheap as the Australian government money. Is that oh, the look, yeah, balance? Well, how cheap's cheap if you get your project up and running. It doesn't really matter. You know, your shareholders want to return on their long, patient capital that they've put in. And so it's about getting this thing up and running and getting a return to our shareholders. So um, if it comes at a slightly more expensive cost of debt, then so be it. Okay. So, okay. So I'm just trying to work out what you're toying with here, obviously, because like DFS finished two years ago, and I think most companies would be having conversations before the DFS you know, happened and then when you knew the numbers then and yep. it's been two years, I mean, you're trying to get a deal. The best deal would be great, but get a deal done if that's your mentality. So mm. what's, what's stopped that from happening then given the options that you've got on the table? What, what's, what's, well, it's, what are you seeking? It was, well, it was seriously about two years ago that um, our prime minister shook then President Trump's hand in Washington and said, don't worry about critical minerals, Australia will resolve all your problems. And it was sort of at that point in time that, um, you know, a lot of the other groups we're talking to sort of said, okay, well, we'll see how this plans out. Let, let the others do the heavy lifting. At the same time, we're very mindful of how governments operate. And so we, were, we, we continue to maintain dialogue with these groups. And two years ago, don't forget, uh, the commodity price had been wallowing at around $50 a kilo uh, and continued to wallow at that price until COVID hit and inventories disappeared. And, uh, and suddenly there was a, a run on, on commodities. So we saw a bit of a spike in price. But more lately, I guess in the last six months, we're actually seeing China not so much uh, concerned about price. Uh, they're actually letting price run a bit and demand is actually driving it, which is, as I said, EV sales in last quarter of last year were, were, were pretty uh, pretty strong, particularly in Europe. So why, why are people looking at you? We, we've had a few NDP, NDPR projects come on the show. So why are you at the front of the queue? I think, you know, as far as I'm aware, we're the only NDPR oxide producer that is uh, shovel ready ready to go. Um, we offer traceability uh, to our customers in terms of how we manage our waste and, and giving them uh, certainty around where the source of their raw materials come from. And I think, um, you know, there is limited um, projects out there that are going all the way through to an oxide uh, that are ready to go. And therefore, I think, um, you know, investors are, are looking for what's the next cab off the rank. And we certainly think that's us. Fantastic. Well, Gavin, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on with these conversations. I think obviously the market's reacted to the, the, the macro, but I think we now need to start see you putting and piecing together how you get a billion bucks worth of CapEx financed. Um, sure. So stay in touch. Yep, shall do. Thanks for having us. But just before we go, I'd like to leave you with a couple of thoughts. You know, the, the, the global macro sector is obviously working in our favour. Commodity price, our stock price is recovering, or is, is travelling quite well. Uh, these conversations we're having around financing are obviously ongoing. We hope to bring some news to people in the, in the next quarter of this year that's very favourable. But one of the things we are looking to do is um, perhaps um, uh, change our execution strategy around um, uh, heading towards a straight EPC contract. And I think that will give the market even further confidence that this project is really moving ahead. So hope to have some really good news out in the next uh, six months. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast 
or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.